penetrating trauma across the entire U.S. is on the way up, it's on the rise. Chest injury occurs in 30 to 40% of all trauma patients. You see, we see penetrating trauma. Some of the worst memories I had during trauma were during some of these chest tube insertions. I think this is a big deal. It's something we should pay attention to. Welcome back to Critical Care Perspectives in Emergency Medicine. This is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. This is the first of our two August podcasts here in 2021. I hope many of you are having a good summer here in the Northern Hemisphere in North America and have gotten a little bit of time out. At least during the first portion of the summer, COVID numbers were decreasing. But as we all know here in August, throughout the United States and actually throughout the world, the Delta variant has taken hold and many places numbers are trending back up. And so we are in store for another wave of COVID and depending on how aggressive we are with respect to vaccinations, time will tell as to how high those numbers reach and how high this upcoming wave reaches. But aside from that, Once again, I hope that you've had some time to spend with family, friends this summer and get a little bit of respite before we head back into the fall. Let me, as always, with each podcast, bring in my amazing co-hosts here, Dr. Peter W., Dr. Rob Rodriguez, and Dr. John Greenwood here on the podcast. Before we jump into a little bit of an atypical topic, we're going to take a detour and do something new this podcast and hit on a trauma topic. But gentlemen, we're here early August Peter, how are things in New Orleans? Things are hot, humid, really rainy, and COVID is having a field day. So we're struggling trying to meet the needs of our community, but we're going through it. All right. And Rob, out to the West Coast. Yeah, we're not as hot and humid as it is in New Orleans, I'm sure, but we are also struggling with COVID. It has hit our community and our staff, but fortunately... The vaccine seems to be doing its job, its primary job, in terms of we haven't had a lot of mortality, certainly have not had as many intensive care unit patients, but there is certainly a lot of transmission, unfortunately. Agreed, agreed. And John, north of me in Philly, how goes it here in August? Mike, well, it is summertime and it is hot, and that means people are outside, which means, unfortunately... There is a little bit more of the penetrating trauma here in the Northeast, and unfortunately, our gun violence numbers are high, and it's actually probably appropriate segue into a paper that was published recently online and presented at East, the Trauma Association, which I thought would be a great opportunity to talk about some trauma care. So if it's okay, maybe we could dive right in. I think that's an outstanding suggestion, and let's get into the topic for this podcast. Awesome. So the trial here is called the PCAT trial, which was put together by Dr. Kulvat Tunyu, and this was a small randomized control trial that was published in the Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. It actually was published online in March of 2021. And the title of the paper is The Small 14 French Percutaneous Catheter Versus Large Open Chest Tube for Traumatic Hemothorax. 
which they gave the name PCAT, which is a multi-center randomized clinical trial. So I think as all of us know who work in the emergency department and see trauma on a regular basis, chest injury occurs in 30 to 40% of all trauma patients, resulting in approximately 300,000 cases of hemothorax in the United States alone each year. Now, the traumatic hemothorax has traditionally been managed with a large bore chest tube. So this was something when we were residents or trainees, everyone was in line getting ready to do an open thoracostomy. It was probably one of the more exciting procedures you got to do as a young trainee. In fact, even up until now, the current EAST guidelines recommend that all hemothoraces be drained with a tube thoracostomy to prevent the morbidity related to retained hemothorax. Now, the incidence of retained blood in the chest or retained hemothorax is reported to be anywhere between 5 and 30%, leaving these patients with a high risk of developing complications such as empyema, as well as a few other things. The rationale for the smaller versus large chest tube is that essentially patients who present immediately after trauma really should have unclotted blood in their chest cavity. So it really should be able to drain with a small bore catheter compared to a large one. And we've seen this evolution over the past few years with the change to small bore catheters for even just the spontaneous hemothorax. Now, a previous single center randomized control trial found that a 14 French chest tube was equally effective as a large bore chest tube at draining these traumatic hemothoraces. But in order to make sure that the results are generalizable, the authors and researchers really wanted to make sure to perform a multi-center trial to double check these results. So maybe we can start, Mike, if you wouldn't mind, walk us through the objective of the trial, as well as the initial parts of the study design itself. Absolutely. Thanks, John. And I think you picked a great topic, a great paper, a very pertinent clinical question, regardless of where you practice, whether you're in an academic center, a trauma center, a community setting, or an international setting you see, we see penetrating trauma. And as you just alluded to, we've been moving towards smaller bore catheters for pneumothoraces, pleural effusions, and even in some cases, some literature, even in empyema. And John, you and I trained, we received our trauma training at our shock trauma center in Baltimore. And you and I certainly put in our share of large bore chest tubes for hemothorax. So I think this is an outstanding clinical question. Now, the authors of this current study wanted to test the hypothesis that a 14 French percutaneous pigtail catheter would be equally effective at draining a traumatic hemothorax when compared to an open thoracostomy with either a 28 or 32 French chest tube. So what was the study itself? This was a multi-center trial, as you alluded to, John, performed in four centers across the United States. Patients that they included in the study were adults 18 or over who had a traumatic hemothorax or a hemoneumothorax that was judged by the clinicians to require drainage as confirmed either on chest X-ray or CT with respect to the hemothorax, or if the patient had a CT scan with a hemothorax greater than 300 cc's as measured through volumetric calculations on the CT scanner. As important as who they included was 
as patients who they excluded. So those who had a predominant pneumothorax and really very little to no hemothorax component weren't included in the study, really focusing on the patients that had a significant hemothorax. If they were unstable, so they clearly came in, they were moribund, and there was really no time to consent between either a small bore or a large bore, they weren't included in this study. They also didn't include catheters that were placed either in a more controlled OR setting or as part of a surgical procedure or simply where they were unable to get consent either from the patient due to their clinical status or next of kin. So included those, excluded these particular patients. What was the study design itself? So this was a randomized control trial where the principal investigator essentially was blinded to the intervention assignment. What was the control arm? Well, what we just talked about, 28 to 32 French chest tube thoracostomy placement. The treatment arm was that smaller bore pigtail catheter placement, 14 French percutaneous placement. Now, aside from the treatment and control arm, where it was simply the size of the chest tube, all other trauma medical care really was at the discretion of the clinical treating team. So what about the insertion procedure? Very similar to exactly what we do. Anesthetize the skin with 1% lidocaine, given IV analgesics if needed by the clinical team. And for the pigtail catheter, that 14 French percutaneous small bore catheter that was inserted using a modified cell dinger technique at the fourth or fifth intercostal space, either at the anterior or mid axillary line. So for those of you that can picture that commonplace for this placement, what about chest tubes? In essence, that larger 28 to 32 French was inserted by a typical traditional cut down method, really in that same anatomical location of the fourth or fifth intercostal space, either anterior or mid axillary line. Once the tube, either the pigtail catheter or the chest tube was placed, they obtained a chest x-ray post-procedure to make sure that the tube was in the right position and confirm that at least they had resolved the hemothorax. And then they left chest tubes on continuous suction at about minus 22 millimeters of mercury. Now, lastly, a chest CT or ultrasound was performed if there was concern for any retained hemothorax component. So that really was their objective, who they included, excluded, and the study design and intervention. Let me kick things back to you, John. Who are we going to next for outcomes? Mike, that was an awesome summary. And I think you highlighted the important thing that this was totally a real world trial. The way you explained it is exactly how kind of I manage my chest tube patients, you know, with local anesthesia, maybe a little IV analgesia. And so I applaud the authors for really keeping it as close to how we practice on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, I think it's important we really focus on some of the outcomes here. So particularly the primary outcome, as well as the secondary outcomes that the authors are looking at. So Rob, maybe you can walk us through the research outcomes. Yeah, thanks, John. So their primary outcome was drainage catheter failure, which was defined as a retained hemothorax requiring additional intervention. And by retained hemothorax here, they mean a radiographically apparent hemothorax after the chest tube insertion or after the pigtail catheter insertion. And by additional intervention, they mean a second drain insertion, chest tube thrombolysis, or a video-assisted thoroscopic surgery, VATS or VATS procedure. In terms of their secondary outcomes, they included initial drainage output 30 minutes after insertion of the chest tube or the pigtail catheter, 
Another secondary outcome was total chest tube output, then total chest tube or pigtail catheter days. Another secondary outcome was insertion-related complications. They also looked at ventilator days, ICU days, length of stay, and hospital length of stay, sort of some traditional secondary outcome measures. But their final secondary outcome might be the most important secondary outcome, which is the patient's perception, the patient's experience about the insertion. And this perception or experience about the insertion was determined by an institutionally created patient survey with an unvalidated ordinal scale, where one was, it was okay, I can tolerate it, I can do it again. Through five, the worst outcome was, it was the worst experience of my life. And all patients were asked this survey question 30 minutes after a drain insertion. So that's a really patient-centered secondary outcome. I really like that one. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Now, certainly we want to know the medical, right, the failure rate. That makes perfect sense. But I agree. I mean, of all the secondary outcomes, this is a really important question. How did the patient feel? Because I can tell you some of the worst memories I had during trauma were during some of these chest tube insertions where the patients were awake and it was uncomfortable. And open thoracostomies are generally a pretty crude procedure. And so certainly it can be a memorable experience for the patient. So Definitely a great question to ask while you're doing this trial. So Peter, we've gone through the study design, the outcomes. Maybe you could walk us through the results and what they found. Absolutely. I mean, what a great study and a timely study too, as penetrating trauma across the entire U.S. is on the way up, it's on the rise. So they looked at a total of 222 screen patients and they enrolled 120 of those that were screened. Those that received 14 French pigtail were 56 in number. One patient was excluded from the final analysis because the effusion was actually found to be chronic, not traumatic related. So that's important to know. And then we had 63 patients in the chest tube group, those who received either 28 to 32 French chest tubes. So 63 in the chest tube and 56 in the pigtail catheter group. So the baseline characteristics, it's good to know there were similar characteristics, including injury severity score, the percent of blunt trauma, the gender, age, the number of associated rib fractures, and the duration of time from their initial trauma prior to the chest tube insertion. So good baseline characteristics that were similar in both groups. So now let's look at the primary outcome. So the first thing we're going to look at is the drain failure rate. And we noted that it was not different between the two groups. So a big point there. And that was P equals 0.74. In fact, the failure rate for the pigtail was 11%. And the failure rate for the chest tube was 13%. So a little edge towards the pigtail, but again, not different between the two groups. So secondary outcomes, some more interesting findings there. The drain output was similar between the two. So one wasn't more successful than the other. The patient experience, what we talked about before, the patient's score, and again, had a lower patient score for the 14 French pigtail, a score of one compared to the open thoracostomy, a score of three. 
And the score of three being it's really a bad experience. So there's a big difference here between the two groups. There were two insertion-related complications. The pigtail had large volume bleeding, which actually required a thoracotomy. And then the open thoracostomy, the chest tube, had an extra pleural positioning requiring a second chest tube placement, which on face value, you think might be more common with the pigtail than it would be with the open thoracostomy. But in fact, it happened with the open thoracostomy. There was no difference in all other secondary outcomes. There were no difference in ventilator days, in the ICU or hospital length of stay, and no difference in the need for VATS or the video-assisted thoracostomy procedure. There were two deaths, one from each group, that neither of these deaths were related to the chest tube placement. So those are your results. Pretty promising. Awesome, Peter. We'll circle back on these results because I want to get your guys' thoughts in a second. There are some limitations probably worth noting that all of these chest tubes were placed in patients who were stable. They weren't in extremis. So these were hemothoraces, but the patients were not in shock or unstable. So certainly that should guide us as we're making decisions in the trauma bay. Pain scores certainly could have been due to a difference in anesthesia and analgesia management. Now, the one thing I'll note is that the trial didn't make the planned sample size. And the authors pointed this out in their discussion. It was a four-year trial, which to be honest in trauma, isn't all that uncommon for these trauma trials to take a long time, but they definitely had some challenges as they got into COVID about a year and a half ago when pretty much all clinical research stopped. So they felt at that point, it was probably worthwhile to go ahead and publish these results, which to be honest, I'm glad they did. The study was partially funded by Cook Medical that does make chest tube catheters themselves, but they didn't have any role in the study design, data collection, or analysis. So always worth noting sponsors and funding and each and all of these trials that involve some sort of medical device. But with those out of the way, maybe we'll circle back. Rob, what are your take-home points from this? What do you think this publication adds to the literature or to clinical practice for you? Yeah, John, I love this study. It's a common sense, real world study that has a lot of practical value in everyday trauma care, really. Many of us have been arguing for a long time for smaller chest tubes and pigtail catheters in trauma. And we've been at times rejected by our surgical colleagues who have been pointing to the fact that to their perception that these chest tubes that pigtails weren't adequate to achieve adequate drainage and that they would have prolonged retained hemothorax. And so this is a great article that we can just bring up with our trauma colleagues and discuss in a very collegial way that can change practice. The one thing that I hope that they look at, and I hope they follow up on these patients long-term, because what I'd like to also see is perceptions later on Like when you're doing a chest tube, an open chest tube like that, people have a chest scar and the smaller scar size may have some value to patients as well. So I hope that they follow up on these patients and do some other type of long-term follow-up. Really cool thoughts, Rob. Peter, what are your thoughts? So my thoughts on this was a big deal for the secondary outcome, the patient's perception. 
their insertion experience. I would like to see also their perception of the removal of the chest tube as well, whether that was significant difference between the chest tube and the pigtail. I would much prefer to pull a pigtail than a thoracostomy tube, a chest tube, and have to suture the whole back. And my bet is, is that perception on the patient's part for that would be far better for the pigtail as well. And in today's day and age where you're going to be remembered for your patient experiences, if not compensated based on your patient's experience moving forward, I think this is a big deal and something we should pay attention to. Well, coming from our executive chief experience officer, I would expect nothing else but to focus on really something that's important, which is the patient experience. Agreed. Yeah, to that end, Peter, I'll add a little personal touch here. I had a family relative, very close relative, who suffered a malignancy-related complication and needed placement of a right-sided tube thoracostomy. And the clinical team felt that it was best to go ahead and place a large bore, in air quotes, tube thoracostomy, so that 28 to 32 French. And I'll be honest, when this relative looks back and recounts their malignancy-related experience with surgical procedures, with chemotherapy, some radiation. The one thing that they circle back to as the thing that hurt the most, that tube thoracostomy insertion with the large four chest tube. So I completely second that. And, and we've moved and are moving in that direction of safely placing smaller bore, these pigtail catheters via a modified Seldinger technique for most indications that we once placed larger chest tubes in. And I really like this study and kind of breaking with dogma that we always need a larger tube to drain blood for fear of developing a retained hemothorax or a complication such as an empyema. So this really has applicability to all of us, regardless of our practice setting. And we can take it back literally to the bedside, to the trauma bay tomorrow morning after listening to this, when you've got someone coming in and they've got the same type of patient, or you have that same type of patient that meets essentially the inclusion criteria. Remember that these weren't crashing patients that couldn't consent, but for the most part, I think this is a nice piece of evidence to really take with you and feel confident in placing these smaller bore catheters for when you've got that person with hemothorax. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I echo each and every one of your sentiments as well as Mike, your story. I think we've all been there. So this to me was absolutely a significant contributor to the literature in in 2021 and definitely something that will change my practice. All right, John. Well, that's going to do it. I think for this podcast here, as we kick off the month in August, already looking forward to our next recording later this month. Hopefully you are too. Let us know if you have any questions in terms of this particular study or just the podcast in general, any prior episodes. Now that CCPEM is free, open access, medical education, let us know, converse with us on prior topics and this specific questions. We've loved really over the past five or six weeks since opening up to the foam world, the interaction that we've had with so many of you. Keep those questions and comments coming because we love the dialogue. And well, you've listened to the episode. So if you'd like to sign up for that CME subscription, why not get CME credit? So that is available and all of the information there is on the website for you to take a look at. So with that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. John, Thanks again. Wonderful recommendation on a trauma topic. So a little bit off the page from our normal critical care stuff with CCPEM. 
So wishing you all a safe end to your summer. We will certainly talk to you before summer closes, but stay safe. Be careful amidst rising COVID numbers in the Delta variant. We will look forward to talking to you on our next podcast. Bye for now.